0: John chapter 1 our text this morning over verses 19 through 28 in the introduction to this gospel John has introduced us to John the Baptist John the Baptist is held up as a witness to the light and already in the introduction John has alluded to John twice and now in verses 18 or I'm sorry 19 through 34 he dives in to explain more about John's ministry. He wants us to understand what John's message was, what that means to the church, and how we are, in many ways, to share the same ministry that John the Baptist had as he preached and pointed to Jesus Christ. So This morning we look at really the first half of this, verses 19-28. through 28. Follow with me in your copy of God's Word. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I want to thank you for your faithful love. I praise you because even when we are faithless and we struggle, you are faithful and you are steady. Thank you that you will never deny yourself, nor deny those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for your help this morning to understand and apply this passage. Father, the temptation is very real to make this about a historical figure who is far and removed. And Lord, we forget that this is your living word. You've given it to us for a purpose. and Your word is alive and active. So we ask you, Father, to work by the power of the Spirit to quicken our hearts and our minds. Your word is life. Let us drink deeply of life this morning. Give us hearts that are open to you. If we are hard-hearted, Lord, soften our hearts. If we are turning a blind eye to our rebellion against You, open our eyes, Lord, to Your glory, our sin, and to Your grace. And Father, I pray that You would move us to be obedient to Your Word this morning. In the name of Jesus I pray, and the church said, Amen. We are used to dramas where the outcome will often hinge upon the witness who takes the stand in a court case, dramas that climax with that 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 witness who stands to testify on what he or she has seen and the outcome is all contingent upon that testimony. Sometimes things don't go as expected. What I'm about to share with you are actual words shared in in a courtroom by witnesses. The witness says, the defendant said, I have to kill you because you can identify me. The lawyer asks a follow-up question. Did he kill you? The witness answered, No. That'll hit a little bit later. Lawyer asked the doctor on the witness stand, How many autopsies have you performed on dead people? All my autopsies have been performed on dead people. And one of my favorites, The lawyer asked Gary, who is up on the stand. And lastly, Gary, all your responses must be oral. Okay? Gary, what school did you go to? Gary responds, oral. Gary, how old are you? Gary responds, oral. Sometimes things don't go exactly as planned. But witnesses are crucial. The testimony of a witness can... Determine the innocence or the guilt of a defendant or the veracity of a claim. Every believer, without exception, is called to be a witness. You and I are called to take the stand in this world for our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be evangelistic. Now in saying that, I'm not stating anything that Believers don't know. In fact, LifeWay Research, an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, did some questioning among church members who attended church at least one time a month. And 80% of those who attend church at least one time a month agreed that every believer has a personal responsibility to share their faith. Yet out of that 80%, 61% said they have not shared the gospel with any person in the last six months. I want to confess to you this morning that as I've been working through this passage and thinking about this issue of evangelism, I've been reminded time and time again that this is one area where the pastor doesn't always live up to what he preaches. I recognize I am not as evangelistic as I ought to be. And so please understand that as I preach this morning, it is not out of an attempt to to guilt us into being more evangelistic. It's not an attempt to manipulate or to to paint a picture of, of, of where we are, but to say, let's take a look at what God desires for us to be about. And rather than feeling guilty and saying, Lord, I've messed up, that this morning, Maybe a point in time, June 10th, 2018, where we as members of Trinity Baptist Church recommit ourselves to say, Lord, we want to be about the gospel. We can't change what has been. We can't correct our past mistakes and times that we have not spoken. But God, by your grace, we can move forward and we can speak more boldly we can speak more passionately, and we can speak more clearly about what the gospel is. Because when it comes to giving excuses as to the reason we don't evangelize, there's no no shortage of those excuses. Many people simply don't evangelize because we've forgotten what evangelism really is. We can speak of evangelism as, say, going on a mission trip or going to feed the homeless. And those are good things. But unless the gospel message is proclaimed, that's not evangelism. Those are ministries and they're good. But evangelism is about sharing the gospel verbally. Sometimes we don't share because, quite frankly, we're not convinced about lostness. What I mean is is that even within the church, there are those who still believe that salvation is gained by good works. So we don't evangelize because we think that our goal is to make people moral. You understand that the most moral person you know If they do not profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we'll face the judgment of God in hell. We forget that. Sometimes fear drives us not to witness. What if it costs me, my friend? What if they think I'm crazy? What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to and this fear wells up within us that keeps us from witnessing, sometimes it's just a pat- lack of a passion for Jesus. We don't evangelize because our passion has, has waned to the point where it no longer drives us to share the great love that Jesus has for us and the sacrifice that He gave on our behalf. Sometimes we just need a reignition, re-ignition of passion. Other times it's because we've cocooned ourselves in a Christian world we just don't know lost people anymore it's very easy in our desire for Christian fellowship which is a good thing we need other believers that we isolate ourselves from the rest of the world we're taught in the scripture to be in the world but not of it so how can we overcome these things many ways I've not shared with you anything that you've not known already but the question is not how we can focus upon those issues but how can we bridge the gap between where we are and how we're supposed to live well I think that's where the gospel of John is crucial witness is a key theme in this gospel The word witness is found in the Gospel of John more than any other Gospel. Twenty-nine times John comes back to this idea of being a witness. Six times in chapter one. In the very first chapter, six times he comes back to this idea of witness. So, at the very beginning of the Gospel, John is laying out to believers because it's believed that the Gospel of John is written to churches that need to be reminded of the greatness of Jesus. And he says at the very beginning, we are to be witnesses. Now, John doesn't just say, do it. You know it, do it. What John does in his gospel is he gives us a model of what it looks like. So he's saying, not just are we to be witnesses. He says, if you want to see what that looks like, here is John the Baptist. Now this doesn't mean that we are to imitate his mannerisms doesn't mean you have to go to the local health food store and look for locust and wild honey to eat or start wearing a camel skin coat sometimes I think we get the idea that evangelism is just for that that extremely extroverted person that dresses in odd ways to get attention No to be a witness doesn't mean you have to be odd doesn't mean you have to be a street preacher doesn't even mean you have to be extremely extroverted because I think sometimes we can hide behind our personalities and say well that's just not who I am I'm not an out front person I'm not an extrovert that I can talk about things easily well John's not held up as a model to say be exactly like him he is held up as an example in three ways Okay. To know who we are. That's where we've got to start. Who are we? Second thing John models for us is what are we to do? What are we to do? And the third way he models is why we do it. So basically, the outline for this message is who, what, and why. Don't you like simplicity? Who? Who are we? If we are to be effective witnesses, we need to know who we are. This begins in verses 19 through 21. Verse 19 is the introduction to this whole section. Here's the testimony of John. So for the next two Sundays, today and next week, we're looking at this testimony. This ministry of John the Baptist is one of preaching. John's on the scene now, and his ministry is going full steam ahead. Crowds are coming to hear him. Not just because John is a little bit odd in dress. but Because John's preaching with authority. The Spirit of God's working through John. When Jesus was asked in Matthew about John the Baptist, He said, did you go out into the wilderness to see a wind, a reed blown by the wind? He says, no, you went to see this prophet of God. Now remember, Jesus' public ministry has not started yet. So, Jesus is not on the scene. John the Baptist is the headliner, preaching with authority, and the people are responding. They're coming. They're repenting. But his message is clear. It is about the Messiah that is to come. John is saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In fact, when a group of Pharisees came out to hear Him, He said, Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? The axe is laid at the base of the tree, and it's ready to fall. He is saying, The kingdom of God is here. Repent. The crowds are coming. But they're not the only ones. We read in verse 19 that the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites. This group traveled, this investigative committee, traveled 70 miles to see what John was preaching. You see, the the powers that be aren't sure what to make of this wilderness evangelist. The crowd's like John, but his message has not been sanctioned by the religious leaders of the day. So they they send an investigative committee, a delegation to investigate. We're used to this. How many times in the news do you hear the idea, a congressional committee is going to investigate? That's the idea here. This group is sent to check this out. A committee made up of priests and Levites travel 70 miles. And notice they have one question for John, verse 19. Who are you? Now that's a loaded question. The question's really authority. Who are you, John, to preach how you're preaching? Who are you to say the things that you're saying? There's a little bit, I I get the feel of indignation in this. Who are you to say the things about the Pharisees that you are saying? By what right do you do this? Now, verse 20 seems repetitive. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. That means John was not ambiguous in his answer. That ought to be refreshing to us today. John didn't take the Fifth Amendment. John didn't answer based upon opinion polls, and he didn't think how he could put spin on this. There was no equivocation. His answer is not vague. Look at it clearly. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. They follow up, verse 21. What then, are you Elijah? Now this is a question based on Malachi chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Where it's predicted that before the Messiah comes, there would be an Elijah-like figure that would come upon the scene and begin preaching to get the people ready for the Messiah. So the question is, John, are you Elijah? Come back. Now, Jesus said that John is that Elijah-type figure. Matthew, once again, he is that Elijah-type figure who is in the wilderness, the prophet of God, who is boldly proclaiming the word of God. But John does not claim that title himself. He says, what then, are you Elijah? He answers clearly, I am not Elijah. They ask a third question. Are you the prophet? This is based on Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, where Moses wrote of a great prophet who would come, preparing the way of the Lord. So, are you this prophet? Once again, the answer is clear: No, I am not that prophet. This gives us insight into the religious world of that time. They're looking for salvation. They're looking for someone that will right the wrongs and they're wondering, John, are you him? The second thing we see is this, John is not the Messiah. He didn't get swept up in the adulation and the applause. He is clear on what his role is and who he is. And in a world that is longing for salvation, you and I must be clear of where it is found and who we are and what role we play in that. You and I are not placed where we are by accident. You have not been given the gifts you have been given by accident. Your personality is not accidental. God has placed you where you are. He has made you what you are. He is working within you by His power so that you may be a word, a a, a person speaking the word of the gospel right where you are. For such a time as this. We need to recognize what our role is in that. Who we are. In Acts chapter 3, John and Peter are walking in the temple. They've been preaching in Jerusalem. And there's a beggar that is there. This beggar is lame. He cannot walk. He asks Peter and John, give me some money, give me some money. And Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold I don't have but what I do have I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk that is to be our attitude to say I don't have all the answers to the world I don't have all the answers for the problems we face but what I do have is the gospel of Jesus Christ and I know who I am in him and my role is to point people to Jesus John and Peter then are called on the carpet in front of the religious rulers who tell them don't speak any more about Jesus of Nazareth to which their answer is we can't be quiet why can't you be quiet because there is salvation in no one else there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved You see, when we know our identity, that we are saved, we are not the Savior, then we are in a position to point people to Jesus. It frees us up so that we are not carrying this weight that we have to earn our salvation. We can truly share out of love for God and love for others to glorify Him. Dave Stone is the pastor of Southeast Christian Church outside of Louisville. Before he got involved in the ministry there, he was a youth minister at Shively Church of Christ. Now, Shively Church of Christ had an ongoing friendly competition with First Baptist Church of Shively. You know how churches are. Everything's all well and good to get on the softball field together. Stone got his youth his students together they studied John 13 about serving washing feet and then he commissioned them. he sent out five teams and he said I want you all to go in the community for the next two to three hours I want you to serve I want you to show Jesus I want you to show him in serving after two to three hours the five groups came back and they began reporting what had happened one group said we did yard work, for, yard work for an elderly man. Another group reported, we went to the, the hospital, we had purchased some ice cream treats and we were just giving them out to people there at the hospital. Another went to the nursing home and they sang Christmas carols in August. In fact, one patient said that that was the warmest Christmas she could ever remember. The fifth group came in. The leader of the group stood and said, we really weren't sure what to do. So we went to the pastor of First Baptist Church of Chivley and said, do you have anyone we could help? He said, well, yeah, there's a member of our congregation that they could use just some work in the yard. This group from Chivley Christian Church went and did that yard work. And at the end of it, the gentleman looked at him and he said, I sure appreciate you all from First Baptist Chivley. You sure take care of me, and I thank you for that. Dave Stone said, Well, I, I hope you corrected him. I hope you told him you were from Shively Christian Church. And one of the students said, No, we really didn't think it mattered. That's what you can do when you're free to glorify Christ. To say as long as Jesus is recognized, that's the important thing. The freedom of serving and telling about Jesus comes when you know who you are in Him. Now, what do we do then? Many of us, we could give the litany of who we are in Christ. We are the redeemed. We are the adopted. We are the set free. We are the children. What do we do? That's where John picks up next, verses 22 through 23. They're not content with this. We need to give an answer our bosses back in Jerusalem they want to know something so what are we supposed to tell them give us an answer now John responds in verse 23 by quoting from Isaiah 40 he says I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. He defines now who he is by what he's doing. He says you want to know who I am? Look at what the prophet Isaiah said and as I am doing this you will understand who I am. I am simply a voice proclaiming the coming of another. Now the original context of Isaiah 40 is this. It was a call that went out when they believed that the exiles who had been removed from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon would be coming back. It was the call of life. Get ready, your moms, your dads, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. They're coming home. But over time, it changed. This idea of one crying in the wilderness was then applied to the coming Messiah who would come and really set free the exiles. The one who would come to liberate the captive. And now he says, I am that one who is the town crier standing and proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. It's in the image of the one who used to be the town crier. Before days of newspapers, before mass communication, there would be that person who would receive the news. And he would go out into the street, there in the market square, ringing a bell to get the attention. And he would proclaim then the message that he had been given. But notice where John is proclaiming this in the wilderness. Wilderness is a place of testing and trial. A place that, in many ways, would represent God forsakenness. If we are to follow John's example, our voice needs to be heard in the wilderness. That means there are times where we will be uncomfortable, times where we stand in places that are spiritually dark. As one evangelist said, I want to run a mission, a yard from the gate of hell. We have to be about our Father's business, and that means meeting people where they are. We have to fight the tendency to isolate ourselves. We must look for those opportunities at work. At school at the places you frequently go to look for opportunities to build relationships to share the gospel that's the wilderness for us it is to be in the world not of it but in it the light is most needed in the darkness and that is what we are to be about now he says I am that voice saying make straight what would happen before the king would come to visit is there would be this this series of projects these projects that would take place to strengthen the infrastructure fill the potholes if the roads curvy, we want to try to make it as straight as possible so the king doesn't have to deviate. Now, he is saying in the wilderness, make ready, get ready for the coming of the king. So, if we take that image of making the way straight, what does that mean? John's message was repent. Turn. Be ready. When the king arrives, let him find you being faithful now if we are to be that voice we must carry the same message now it's very popular in many circles to use a quote from Saint Francis of Assisi Saint Francis of Assisi once said preach the gospel wherever you go use words if necessary Now, there's an element of truth in that. His point is, our character, our actions need to reflect the gospel. But that quote is not completely right. We must use words to share the gospel. John did. Peter did. Paul did. Jesus did. So unless our character surpasses the character of John, Peter, Paul, and Jesus, we must follow their example and articulate the gospel. We must open our lips and share it. Now, that begs the question, why do we share? We all get the the caricature of that prophet walking around looking at people saying, Repent! See, I've got that in there somewhere. The gospel message is this. God created the world. This is very simple. God created the world, created humanity. Humanity rebelled against God. We did our own thing. We would all agree that rebellion deserves punishment. Our rebellion deserves punishment. When we shake our fist in the face of God and do our own thing, God's right to judge us. And the Bible says that the wages of our rebellion is death. That's what we deserve. But the good news is that God came down in Jesus And died on a cross to take the penalty for us. And he rose from the dead to show that the penalty had been paid. So that all who would believe in Jesus can be saved from God's wrath. That's the gospel. That's the glorious good news. To understand that in our world today, that's not viewed as gospel. Many are threatened by that very message because it eats away at our self-sufficiency. Ted Turner, the founder of TNT and Turner Broadcasting Network and vice chairman of Time Warner is one of our nation's largest landowners. He owns 1.6 million acres. An article talking about his life and all the good things that he has done, the, the um, the the philanthropic endeavors that he leads, he says this, you know, I'm not looking for any big rewards. I'm not a very religious person. I believe this life is all we have. I'm not doing what I'm doing to be rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. I'm doing it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Turner goes on, almost every religion talks about a Savior coming when you look in the mirror when you're putting on your lipstick or shaving you're looking at the Savior nobody else is going to save you but yourself that's why the message of the gospel is so desperately needed all around us our friends and neighbors, and even on these chairs, people who buy into that idea that we have to save ourselves. But what do you think happens when the reality hits that we can't? We can't change our thinking. We can't stop the habits. We are powerless to make ourselves right with God because if you set on the path of doing good things to be right with God, how many good things do you have to do? Please, show me the table that says how many good works atone for a lustful thought. How many good works make up for greed? How many good works take away one lie? Is it a one-to-one ratio? Or do you have to surpass that? But what if the standard for goodness is not even my works? What if the standard is God and His goodness and His glory? You see, we cannot save ourselves. That's why God had to intervene. And that's why we must fulfill our purpose by sharing the gospel. So we've seen who. We need to know who we are. We're not the Messiah. We need to see what we do. We share. We're that voice. Now here's why. Look at verses 24 through 28. This group had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now John's baptism was unique. They, the Jews, were used to what's called water purification, The idea that washing and even being baptized by immersion, which they would do regularly, was just a way of symbolizing inward cleanliness. But understand that John's message went a step beyond that. His was not just be pure, it was repent, to be ready to enter into the kingdom. So John's wasn't just be clean, it was to say turn so that you can be ready and accepted when the king comes. And he's preaching this to Jews who believe they were already in the kingdom. So now they're saying, if you are not the Messiah, what gives you the right to do this? many ways, John doesn't answer. He simply says... Yes, I'm baptizing with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Now in other words, Jesus had not begun his ministry yet, but John knew he was on the horizon. And he says, verse 27, He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. There's there's why we do it. It's because of who Jesus is. The most menial the task of any servant at the time of John was to take off the shoes of his or her master. The shoes were dirty, nasty. It was the lowest thing a servant could do. And John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's saying, Jesus is of the supreme value. More than we realize, his worth surpasses our greatest estimation of what is truly worthy. And he says, if you want to understand why I do this, he says, I do it because of the surpassing greatness of who the Messiah is. What is to drive us in doing what we do is passion. Not to earn salvation, not to to do anything to boost ourselves up, but simply out of a passion for Jesus and for His glory. You see, it's so easy for passion to die out. I'm firmly convinced you don't have to coach anyone to talk about what they're passionate about. Find a sports fan. Ask them about their favorite team. You don't even have to ask them. If you are around a rabid University of Alabama fan, they will let you know that. And that goes for any college. Whatever a person is passionate about, they find a way to work into the conversation. So sometimes when you get right down to it, our issue is not all the things we mentioned earlier as to why. It comes down to a lack of passion for Jesus. So Trinity, we have to ask ourselves, have we become content with just coming in and setting and doing our studies, then going out into the world and doing our thing and nice and quiet and then coming back and just hit and repeat and repeat and repeat? Or are we ready to say, Lord, forgive us for becoming apathetic? Stir our hearts so we'll be passionate for you and we will add our voice to the voice of John's crying in the wilderness. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now if you will. in this moment as we prepare for a time of invitation I want to ask you are you ready to be a witness are you ready to say Lord I want to live on the edge of what the spirit is doing As a church, we want to be about our Father's business. The Gospel of John's written to remind us we need to witness, we need to testify about the Messiah. Now, as a church, we want to work to offer training so you're equipped, but it's up to you to take advantage of that. We want to help you. There's tracks, there's ways to share the faith. They're all available, but it all comes down to are you passionate for Jesus? There may be someone on your mind right now that the Lord is laying in your thoughts that needs to hear the gospel. Will you be available to share? Not just inviting them to church, although that's good, but to really sit down with them and ask them, what do you believe about Jesus of Nazareth? They may say, I really don't know. Don't take it for granted that your neighbors, your friends, your family have heard the gospel. And don't be discouraged if the person you witness to doesn't believe the first time. It said it takes on average six times for a person to hear the gospel before they repent and confess faith. But we keep sharing because we love our Lord and we love our neighbor. Father, as I have all throughout this week, I confess my failings in this area. And I ask for your grace to help me to be a better and more effective witness. Forgive me for the times that I've been reticent about sharing. And help me to be faithful, Lord. Help us as a church to be faithful. Not to take for granted the gospel, but Lord, to be moved with a passion for your glory. So that we will tell, we will tell our neighbors, our friends, our family, that we will be that voice in the wilderness. Lord there are people that are lost they don't know you so Lord help us in the name of Jesus we pray to be witnesses in Jesus I ask this Amen